You're listening to Vaccine Curious. The coronavirus pandemic begs the question: What do we know about vaccines? This podcast investigates vaccines from an individual, a societal, and scientific perspective. Your host is Professor in Global Health from University of Southern Denmark, Christine Stebel Ben. Welcome to Vaccine Curious. It's my great privilege and honor to introduce uh, Professor Stanley Plotkin, uh, who needs no introduction to most, but let me just briefly summarize uh, that Professor Plotkin trained as a medical doctor and worked as a clinician uh, for a number of years uh, before he also uh, became a professor, joined academia, and subsequently joined the vaccine manufacturer Pasteur Mayukono. And he is inventor of the rubella vaccine, which is now used worldwide, uh, as well as the co-developer of the rotavirus vaccine. And Many people will also know him as the editor of the textbook for vaccines, which basically covers all aspects of vaccinology. Uh, Professor Plotkin, very warmly welcome to this uh, podcast where you have promised to share with us your view over uh, the evolution of uh, vaccines. Well, thank you and thank you for inviting me. Um, You know, uh, I am... uh, unfortunately or fortunately approaching my 90th birthday so the, the alternative uh, had been worse <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, but uh, it, it does give me uh, a long view of the development of uh, vaccinology and um, since as uh, Aeschylus said all wisdom begins with memory Uh, perhaps I could just uh, talk about the history of vaccines for uh, a, a few minutes. Um, and uh, of course, uh, we all, when when speaking about the history of vaccines, we all go back to uh, Jenner and his observations uh, concerning um, uh, cowpox and its protection. Uh, ability to protect against smallpox. Um, but of course, we also know that it was Louis Pasteur who uh, first uh, put um, vaccinology on a scientific uh, basis. And that was because he had a background uh, essentially in uh, diseases of, of animals Uh, and plants, uh, and he was able to synthesize what he learned uh, in protecting those from uh, microbes uh, to um, to human vaccinology. Uh, but uh, also, he was the first one, I think, to do a controlled human experiment Uh, well, sorry, controlled experiment, not just in uh, humans, uh, but um, as we know, uh, an experiment using uh, anthrax, an anthrax vaccine was applied to animals at a um, uh, a farm in a, a suburb of Paris called Puy le Four, and uh, showed that a vaccine could protect against an infectious disease. And that, of course, opened the way to a number of uh, discoveries. Uh, 
Um, but the the point that I want to make about that is that um, science biology really evolved over a number of years, and the vaccines that were developed during that period of time, essentially the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, were um, to some extent accidental. That is to say that there were discoveries made somewhat by chance that one could use this or that to protect against uh, a, uh, a, a disease. And of course, that led to a number of important vaccines, such as against uh, typhoid um, and a couple of other bacterial diseases. Um, and uh, then when viruses were uh, really identified at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the same methods, empirical methods, were applied uh, to, uh, to viral uh, diseases. So that, you know, by the middle of the uh, 20th century, uh, we had a, a number of vaccines that worked, uh, but we didn't have a really deep understanding of, of why uh, they, they worked. We, we did not have a deep understanding of, um, of immunology. Um, and the the uh, discovery that led to a, a change in that regard, or the discoveries, I should say, in plural, were first of all uh, the discovery of the ability to grow viruses in cell culture, uh, which happened in in Boston uh, by uh, Anders Weller and, and, and Robbins. Uh, and uh, the reason I point that out is because, although that was in, not in itself a vaccine, but it, it enabled us to uh, isolate individual viral particles and to select them. And that was the beginning of the development of a, a number of uh, both live and, and killed uh, <coughs> viral vaccines. The other uh, crucial discovery uh, in the 20th century related to the importance of bacterial uh, capsular polysaccharides and the discovery at the Rockefeller Institute that if you conjugated chemically the um, capsular polysaccharides with a protein, a carrier protein, you could greatly improve the uh, immune response to the polysaccharide and therefore develop potent vaccines against uh, bacteria. So uh, the, those were the crucial discoveries which led to the uh, explosion of vaccines in the 20th uh, and the 21st uh, century. Fortunately for me, uh, I was uh, entering vaccinology um, in the 1960s uh, and was able to 
to profit from all that work that had been done uh, before. Um, and uh, just uh, to, to throw in a, a biographical detail, uh, you know, everything in life depends on luck. And I, I was lucky in that uh, a, an opening um, at the Wistar Institute uh, where Hilary Kaprowski had just become the director, um, uh, th th there was a, a, an opening of a post at the Wistar. Now, the post was under the uh, regime of the Centers for Disease Control, and the post was uh, concerning anthrax. Now, I had no interest in anthrax, which is mainly a veterinary disease. But uh, anyway, I decided that if I went to uh, Wistar, I could get into Hillary's laboratory. And that was what happened. And I was uh, able to walk into his office, ask him if he would let me work in his lab. And he, he, said, he said yes, without really knowing who I was or, or what I could do. And that, of course, led me to uh, work on first on polio uh, and then rabies and uh, then eventually uh, rubella and, and others. But meanwhile, and uh, I'll come to the end of my historical review. Uh, meanwhile, of course, um, uh, other workers uh, were beginning to investigate and formulate molecular biology. And uh, in particular, uh, two people, Herb Boyer uh, and Stanley Cohen, uh, initiated what we call genetic engineering. That is, uh, taking um, uh, molecules and changing them or uh, extracting particular uh, antigens um, uh, from complicated organisms uh, to use them as, uh, as vaccines or, for that matter, for, for other purposes. And that really opened modern vaccinology, opened the way for modern vaccinology. So that now, instead of uh, simply killing organisms or weakening them, we have multiple strategies to develop vaccines. And that, of course, has been seen in the last couple of years with respect to SARS-2, the virus that um, coronavirus that's uh, causing COVID-19. Um, so uh, molecular biology, so to speak, uh, arrived at, at the right time with regard to vaccinology, in a sense, converting vaccinology from an empirical science uh, to a uh, science in which you could predict what would happen if you did such and such a thing. And uh, needless to say, uh, we've had an explosion of vaccines since um, the middle of the last 
a century and the beginning of, of this century, uh, so that there are few targets that are escaping us, so to speak. Um, of course, the, the number one, I would say, is HIV, uh, because of the variability of, um, of the pathogen, uh, how, how rapidly it, it changes. Uh, but there are other issues as well. But we are beginning to get a handle on problems that resisted us before. Uh, for example, respiratory syncytial virus, a disease of both infants and the elderly. Uh, we are now, uh, because of structural biology and other aspects, we are finally um, uh, looking at vaccines in development that look effective, uh, both, uh, both in terms of um, attenuated vaccines and also uh, purified uh, proteins. And then lastly, we have the nucleic acid vaccines, uh, both the DNA, which uh, opened the way, and although um, we, we don't have human DNA vaccines, we have veterinary DNA vaccines, and then, of course, needless to say, the messenger RNA vaccines, which um, have enabled us to rapidly uh, develop vaccines against SARS-2. Uh, and, uh, and I should mention also uh, nanoparticles, uh, protein nanoparticles. So those three strategies are now critical to the future of vaccinology. So we've come a long way, uh, but the I would say we now have reason to be optimistic that we can develop vaccines against essentially uh, any pathogen using uh, one or more of those advanced uh, technologies. And I am fortunate in having been able to watch this happen over the period of my lifetime. And I'll stop there. That that was wonderful, Stan. A, a wonderful overview of, of the history and the major achievements in the vaccine uh, development. You are listening to Vaccine Curious. If you were just to kind of time put a timeline on when could you just enlighten us with regards to when I think you mentioned it for some of the achievements but if I'm to to uh, kind of summarize it I think you you mentioned first the the virus culture that allowed us to grow and isolate viruses as one of the crucial discoveries when was that more or less Well, um, of course uh, there was growth in in animals um, or, or yeah, uh, in, injecting animals or or cells from um, animals uh, even before uh, the uh, discovery of of cell culture. But cell culture uh, happened basically in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Um, as I said before, in 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 Boston, uh, and it it. It was, um, you know, in a way uh, obvious that it would be great if you could grow 
viruses uh, in in vitro, but it changed everything. It it enabled uh, isolation of, of viruses uh, in, in a way that was pure, so to speak, uh, and uh, and growing the viruses and changing the viruses in cell culture. It was a gigantic. Uh, and and then came the understanding that we could uh, make polysaccharide uh, vaccines uh, linked to protein and improve immune responses. When was that more or less? Uh... Well, actually, the basic discovery was made in the nineteen late nineteen thirties, early forties, um, uh, by uh, Oswald Avery at the at the Rockefeller, uh, but it was sort of um, ignored to some extent until uh, after the, the Second World War, um, people like, um, oh, what's his name? Um, just, just a second. Uh, I just want to, well, anyway, a number of workers uh, realized that that uh, uh, discovery uh, by Avery uh, could enable them to take Haemophilus influenza or pneumococci and to um, uh, take the polysaccharide conjugated with a protein and then inject it uh, into people and get uh, uh, antibody responses that were protective uh, so that has um, enabled us to make vaccines for children uh, that are highly uh, effective and, and prevent those diseases that that killed many children before those vaccines were available. So, so really, these two discoveries were the whole foundation for the viral and bacterial childhood vaccines, as we know them today, yes. I guess, most of them. And, and then you, you explained very well how then came more uh, recent discoveries and, and the whole scenario up to now where we uh, are standing, as you say, in a, in a place with many different platforms to deliver vaccines, uh, really many things to choose from. Um, and, you, and You know, uh, I, I, I would say, and I hope your audience will forgive me for saying this, that these last two years have been the, the greatest years in vaccinology um, uh, since the, the polio days. And, um, you know, setting aside the, the death, the destruction, the economic effects of the epidemic from the point of, purely from the point of view of vaccinology, Uh, these last couple of years have been tremendous as far as um, advancing the field of vaccinology. And are you thinking of the mRNA vaccines in particular here, or are there other well, aspects we should think of? Well, mRNA uh, is is one of the methods, self-amplifying RNA, uh, DNA, and as I said, uh, nanoparticles. Uh, Uh, they um, they're not as uh, famous, so to speak, <laughs> as the um, the RNA vaccines. But the, the the protein nanoparticles are a powerful 
or is a powerful technology to um, uh, to, to make very uh, potent vaccines. That is to say, vaccines that, that give uh, high antibody responses. At least there, they may not be quite as good inducing cellular responses, but but uh, but they rank uh, with the nucleic acid vaccines, in my view, as as a very very important strategy. So, can I ask you if we consider that we can now make vaccines against almost every disease? As you said, yeah, HIV still eludes us, but RSV is one thing that we are now starting to be able to vaccinate against. I mean, just in hypothetically, if we could develop vaccines against all diseases, should we vaccinate then against all diseases? Well, I, yeah, obviously I'm prejudiced, <laughs> but when I when one looks at history, when one looks at the mortality that occurred, particularly in children, but also shortening the lifetimes of adults, uh, not that long in the past. I mean, I uh, when, when I was a child, I had pneumococcal pneumonia. Um, I had uh, severe uh, in- influenza, um, which hospitalized me. Um, th- those are diseases that are uh, disappearing. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of ridiculous in a way that we have um, in some places, particularly the U.S. actually, we have people who are opposed to vaccines. I mean, it, 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 of course, human stupidity knows no bounds, but uh, it, it's it, it amazes me uh, that people have such short memories, or I guess, uh, in in many cases, no no memory at all because they're too young. But uh, the when you when one looks back at human history. The, the the change in uh, mortality is, has been incredible. Uh, but, uh, you know, now a child in a developed country has a, at least a 99% chance of surviving to adulthood. I, I agree with that perspective. And just uh, recently we were reminded in Guinea-Bissau about measles uh, mortality as we had an, uh, due to the pandemic uh, breakdown of, of the routine vaccination system and we had a measles outbreak and out of the first 35 children who got infected with measles, uh, two died. So mm. emphasizing that that even in, in our Our days, measles can still be lethal under the the right circumstances. So, so and 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 uh, definitely, I think you're right that uh, that has, uh, with that in mind, uh, also African mothers do, are not hesitant when it comes to taking a measles vaccine because the the uh, pronounced effects that measles vaccine has had on on survival of their children is still. Uh, quite well remembered by by most mothers um, or at least the grandmothers um, so so yes it has been a a major game changer uh, in in that aspect mm-hmm. uh, i i would like to ask you also uh, about the issue in relation to knowing the mechanisms uh, because you said in the beginning the whole 
development of vaccines, it, it was all empirical. People saw that something worked uh, protectively, as 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 Jenner saw with the cowpox, and and uh, and and later on also with Pasteur. Still, you said uh, that many of the mechanisms underlying the protective effects of vaccines weren't really understood. Um, actually, I think. For still for a BCG vaccine against tuberculosis, we're not really sure why it, it works. <laughs> so so there might still be, you know, vacuums in our understanding of the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. But but is it necessary to know the mechanisms for something to be taken into use? How, how important are the mechanisms in your point of view, uh, if you have an empirical observation? Well, of course, science is an intellectual exercise as well as a practical one. So we, we all want to understand the mechanisms as much as, as, as possible, uh, and uh, which increases our ability, ability to uh, employ those mechanisms. But, you know, the, from my point of view, the history of, of immunology is an example of how science uh, builds itself. That is to say, uh, science begins with an observation, uh, and then people try to identify the the mechanism of the observation, and eventually to uh, uh, to once they understand it, to employ it to uh, improve things, and so with respect to uh, immunology, we, um, uh, you know, the the, the first uh, workers really didn't know about antibodies uh, or cellular immunity. Um, they were very vague about that. Uh, but then, of course, gradually uh, we identified antibodies, molecules in the blood uh, that uh, are specific and, and could be protective. And then uh, eventually, actually not that long ago, I guess it's now less than 100 years, uh, we realized that, that, uh, that certain cells in, in the blood uh, conveyed uh, I- immunological mechanisms that uh, that or could control uh, diseases uh, and also, of course, could be bad. That is, they could react against oneself. So uh, they were very important discoveries. Uh, and then we began to realize that the immune system is highly redundant that it's not just antibodies and T cells. There are uh, other uh, mechanisms, both with regard to um, uh, to um, uh, was what were called humoral responses, but um, but also cellular responses that are not necessarily uh, specific, but but occur. In, uh, can be stimulated in certain circumstances. So, uh, for example, if I look at um, uh, at the situation with regard to uh, COVID, uh, we have established that antibodies are important, specific neutralizing antibodies. But 
all of us understand that that that's not the only mechanism. It's not just neutralizing antibodies that are important. It's also uh, T cell responses. It's also FC effector uh, antibodies that uh, contribute to protection. And of course, there are other types of responses that we don't necessarily fully understand. So the, I guess the important idea is that the immune system has evolved as well as organisms, and it, and, and it is redundant. Uh, it, it doesn't depend on any single mechanism, uh, but multiple mechanisms in order to protect the, uh, the individual, and that is the result of evolution. That is a wonderful start for my next question, which is uh, whether the immune system may also learn something from the meeting with a vaccine or a pathogen in general that it can use against unrelated uh, pathogens. Uh, as you know, we have looked into these, what we call nonspecific effects of vaccines uh, on other diseases. And empirical evidence shows that receiving, for instance, a BCT vaccine against tuberculosis can protect you against a broad range of infectious pathogens. Uh, so so I would, of course, like to hear your uh, view on these empirical discoveries and, and maybe also the emerging immunological evidence that suggests that, that uh, uh, innate immune training may be uh, one such mechanism which could explain these findings. Yes, you know, um, it, it, It's taken some time to for people to understand the multiplicity of uh, immune responses that uh, that uh, do occur. Um, but uh, innate immune responses um, were developed, so to speak. I mean, they've evolved uh, because. Um, the the host obviously wants to uh, survive, and it it needs multiple ways of uh, doing that. That uh, if a, if a, a human or an animal, for that matter, gets in, infected, uh, it takes a while for the immune system to develop specific uh, responses. And during that period, the individual could die of the uh, untrammeled replication uh, of the agent. So a system, an innate immune system, has been developed, so to speak, uh, by nature to provide some sort of immediate protection. And indeed, um, we've seen that in the case of, of SARS, um, we've we've seen that uh, in that the uh, uh, particularly the messenger RNA vaccines uh, protect very early. They, it, it, it's not um, um, what shall I say? It, it doesn't. It, it's it's before the antibody response and the cellular responses. Uh, even after the first dose of vaccine, you you get some protection which cannot be attributed 
to the classical immune responses. And uh, I, I do not doubt that those are rela related to uh, innate immune responses. So, you know, we, we have a lot to learn. We've learned a lot about antibodies. We have learned something about cellular responses, not a, as much as we need to know. Uh, and uh, we, we, we need a lot more knowledge about innate immune responses and how they um, work and, and uh, how to stimulate them. I remember you once challenged us on the findings of nonspecific effects of vaccines and said if we could provide a mechanism, you would you would feel more confident. So I, I would like to ask you if you, I mean, where do you stand now with these nonspecific effects and then the knowledge that, or the potential mechanism here with the innate immune training, uh, which I mean yeah. is also linked to the observation that the innate immune system actually can develop uh, a memory that it's not only a, a bystander effect of receiving a vaccine, but also a long-term imprinting uh, on the immune system uh, that that could change, and also the way you handle subsequent uh, unrelated pathogenic threats. Yeah, well, so you know, my my view. Uh, obviously, I ha have not um, much, like say, done any scientific observations in this area. But it seems cl uh, clear to me that um, uh, there is a uh, a positive, non-specific effect of live vaccines. Uh, that the Simply the fact of, of replication and uh, the stimulus uh, that replication affords to uh, multiple multiple parts of the immune system uh, does give you more or broader protection than you would expect uh, from um, the the individual. Uh, uh, antigen that, that is used in, or antigens that are used in, in the vaccines. I would say I'm convinced that that is a real phenomenon. What is uh, uncertain to me, and again, remembering that I'm not a specialist in this area, is the, the, the negative effects of, uh, of non-living vaccines. I mean, are they Um, uh, is there really a, a cause and effect mechanism there or uh, are, are we missing something? Um, and, and I say that basically because the, the data that I've read are uh, observational data and for the negative effects, uh, we, we lack a mechanism for the positive effects, I think we do have reasonable paths that are being followed and and support the idea that there is there are positive effects of certain particularly live vaccines. But uh, for the negative side, uh, the data seem variable. So uh, I haven't drawn a conclusion. And, and you are, of course, welcome not to. I, I just wanted to say briefly that we have actually uh, shown for several non-live vaccines that 
both that they can uh, the price of the specific protection can come at the price of increased susceptibility to other infections, but also immunologically that that they seem to uh, induce some degree of innate tolerance, which could go a long way to explain why that could at least temporarily increase your risk of of other infections. But but I'll I'll uh, allow you not to draw any conclusions on that, and maybe just uh, stick uh, to the live vaccines and the empiric uh, evidence we have for their effect and uh, kind of on, on other infections. There are beneficial, non-specific effects uh, supported with the immunological data, and ask you whether uh, just as as Jenner started using smallpox vaccine, would it be justified to start using live vaccines and and I've mentioned the BCG vaccine but I could also mention yeah. the measles vaccine MFR vaccine the rubella vaccine you you developed yourself the rotavirus vaccine uh, oral polio vaccine and um yeah just to, to, yeah, to just I, mention some live vaccines yeah. would would it be reasonable to start using those for their non-specific effects I I would say yes I think the evidence is is sufficient Uh, to, um, uh, I mean, I, I think, of course, we still need scientific study of, of what we're doing. But uh, when I when I see um, the mortality occurring in in lower middle income countries that are uh, excessive, that shouldn't happen. Um, uh, I'm all in in favor of uh, using vaccines to try to reduce. Uh, that mor- mortality, not only against these specific diseases, but uh, against um, other uh, in- invasive infections that occur in, in that environment. So I want to thank you very much, uh, Professor Plotkin, for sharing this time with us and sharing your your uh, master view over the evolution of uh, vaccinology during the last uh, century. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all these insights. Well, you're quite welcome and good luck. You've listened to Vaccine Curious with your host, Professor in Global Health from University of Southern Denmark, Christine Steppelben. Thanks for listening.